0: Okay. Yes. Everybody else is too tired and too hot to say anything. How many of you run in your air conditioner? How many of you having it shut off? Yeah, that's a different thing. Uh, hey, thank you for being with us online. We're glad that you've tuned in tonight. And if you have a prayer request, you uh, please just annotate that or, or note that, and we will certainly pray with you uh, as we pray tonight. Let's pray for our our students, we have quite a few students that are at camp right now. Uh, they left yesterday. They'll be back on Saturday. Uh, so we want to pray that uh, they have a uh, an impactful time and just a wonderful time and are safe. Uh, with this extreme uh, heat, we want them to be safe. Uh, and uh, also, as we gear up for the next busy, uh, over the next uh, week and a half, I guess, with uh, we have camp, and then we have the firework stand going on, and then, of course, coming up on July 3rd, our Celebrate America, so a lot, of, a lot of things going on, and then the following Thursday after that is our food distribution. Well, no, it's not. It's two weeks after that. I forget the first is on a No, it is. First is on a Thursday. Yeah, wow. Anyway, let's pray. <laughs> let's pray. Father, we love you tonight and are so thankful to be able to come together, and uh, Lord, just, just be in your house. and on this Wednesday night. Lord, I know that uh, for many it's been a very busy week and a lot of things going on, and I just pray tonight as we come in that we just take a moment to just, uh, Lord, just rest, rest in you, and I pray, God, that you'll help our minds to be at ease and that, Lord, our uh, our bodies to be at ease as we just sit in your presence and study your word. I pray, Father, for every hand that went up in the building tonight and those that are online. Uh, Lord, whatever that need is and the situation that we're facing tonight, God, just take charge. Uh, bring healing uh, bring comfort, bring strength, bring deliverance. Do what needs to be done tonight. Father, we pray for all the ministries that are here tonight on campus, uh, that you would be exalted and lifted high. We pray for our students that are at camp. Uh, Lord, I pray that uh, not just our students, but everyone there at May Pearl Camp, Lord, I pray that they would have a divine encounter with you that would alter the trajectory of their life from this day forward. Uh, Father, I pray that you would just rain down your Holy Spirit upon that place. Uh, Lord, may they encounter you fresh and, and and relevant to their life and to their situations. And I pray, Father, uh, for the the busy time that we're in. Lord, I pray God your hand of protection number one upon us. I pray God you'll give us uh, again, just uh, give us stamina and energy to do what needs to be done. Lord, to bring glory and honor to you in all that we do. We commit this time and service to you right now. Thank you for all that you do in Jesus' name. And we all said, Amen. God bless you. you may be seated tonight. Um, in way of announcement, go ahead and turn to Ruth chapter 1 as we get into our uh, teaching tonight, but uh, in, w- in, in way of announcements, a couple things. Uh, as I said, the students are at camp, and they will be back on Saturday. We actually start uh, the fireworks stand on Friday, and we'll run through July 4th, uh, so there will be, uh, there's still opportunity to help. This is kind of an all-hands-on-deck. I know uh we we kind of joke about it pulpit announcements sign-up sheets really don't help a lot but we do make the need known that uh this is too big for the youth group to do it's kind of like i've always joked about speed the light speed the light is you know so so as a men's ministry we have light for the lost what does light for the lost do well light for the lost buys literature so we buy literature men's ministry we buy literature for our missionaries but we ask our, our students to buy vehicles i always thought that was kind of an interesting thing so uh, so uh uh, this is something that the youth can't do by themselves. Obviously, there's uh, some legal requirements that go into selling fireworks and things like that. So we have to step in and help. But they potentially can earn upwards of $15,000 towards uh, missions and other projects that they have. So uh, please stop by, look at some times. Uh, it's an air-conditioned building. Uh, there, is, uh, there will be a hot spot there. So if you have devices um, you know, during the day, it could be very slow. Um, uh, until you get up closer to 4th of July. I mean, you think about this. Last year when we opened it up, we were pretty dead for a few weeks or a few days, and then the last four days uh, sold almost $90,000 worth of, of fireworks. So that tells you how busy it was there towards the end. Uh, but anyway, that's going on. Uh, you can stop by this uh, hub, and there's you'll see the slots there to be able to uh, sign up for that. Also, Again, just kind of reminder, don't forget the uh, uh, Celebrate America is coming up a week from Sunday, so 10 days. Uh, again, I'm, I'm excited about this. Help us get the word out. You know, we normally do the little invite cards. We didn't, we didn't do that this time, but you can share it digitally. Uh, you can go online and capture the image and pass it around your social media, uh, but we are and you can personally invite. I mean, know you can still talk to people. Uh, I know we've kind of gotten away from that with the digital world that we live in, but uh, you can. You don't need an avatar. You you can just go by yourself and actually talk to them and invite them to come, especially veterans. I have challenge coins that we'll give out to our veterans. We have a a barbecue lunch right after service. Remember, one service that day at 1045, and then following that service, we have lunch in the Family Life Center, and uh, again, looking forward to it, looking forward to Jessica coming in and... and, uh, uh, she's not sharing her story we've heard her story the but we will show her rescue video uh it's a very i watched it the other day and i mean i've seen it a number of times and i I've, i I've, I've talked to her periodically throughout the year we'll talk four or five times um and i still sitting there i asked her i said do you mind if i show this she said no i'm okay with it and i said well it even brought me to tears and uh you know just seeing the the intensity of uh, what she survived uh, and we're just—I'm excited to have her here. But if you know veterans, uh, please bring them out. Encourage them to come. We're not—we're not, we're not going to proselytize them. We're not going to baptize them. We're just going to celebrate God and country and feed them. <laughs> so, uh, anyway, and then we'll move on with other things down the road. Um, let's get right into our story tonight. Uh, again, we're—we're we're studying the Book of Ruth, a story of redeeming love, and. Uh, we're going to pick up, and I, I, again, I, I don't know that I'll read the entire uh, remaining uh, chapter. Uh, we will begin at verse number six. So then she arose with her daughters in law that she might return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the country of Moab that the Lord had visited his people by giving them bread. Therefore, she went out from the place where she was, and her two daughters in law with her. And they went. On the way to return to the land of Judah. Naomi said to her two daughters in law, Go return each to her mother's house. The Lord deal kindly with you, as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each in the house of her husband. So she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices, and they wept, and they said to her, Surely we will return with you to your people. Uh, But Naomi, and we'll just stop here. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Are there still sons in my womb that they may be your husbands? Turn back, my daughters, go, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, if I should have a husband tonight and should also bear sons, would you wait for them till they were grown? Would you restrain yourselves from having husbands? No, my daughters, for it grieves me very much for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. And we'll stop there. May the Lord add his blessing to his word. Tonight, you know, when you read this, the rest of chapter one, and actually when you read the entirety of chapter one, it's a sad story, right? It really, it really is a sad story. I mean, again, when we left them, as we pick up the story tonight, when we, when we left them last week, Naomi and her daughters-in-law are living in Moab. Now, the story goes that there was a famine in the land. Bethlehem, being house of bread, the house of bread had no bread. They were out of bread. Uh, there was a famine in the land. So, Elimelech. Uh, had heard that there was fertile ground in Moab. Again, we talked a little bit about the significance of that. Uh, Elimelech was uh, the ancient name of Bethlehem as Ephratha, uh, So he was an Ephrathite. Say that real fast. <laughs> uh, and, 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 and that seems to be indicative of him being probably well-known in the community. Now, obviously, Bethlehem at that time was not. Uh, how many remember the song, O Little Town of Bethlehem? It probably was that. It was more like a village than it was like we would uh, a town. If you've been to Israel and you've been to Bethlehem, it is a bustling city uh, right now, um, and but then it wasn't. It was just a small community. And so Elimelek, being a from a and a he probably was in a had a status, if you will, in the community. Um, but he hears that there's bread in the in Moab, that there's fertile ground, and so he packs up his wife and two sons and they go to Moab. And uh, again, Moab being uh, descendants of the incestuous relationship, uh, Moab being fornicated. Actually, the word Moab means who's your, da- who's your daddy. That, that, in, our, in our vernacular day would be who's your daddy uh, is really what Moab means. It's, it, it, it has other roots of fornication. So they go from the house of blessing to the house of fornication. They live there. Elimelech dies. The two boys die. They bury them there. So we left them, again, living in Moab. Ten years have passed since she and her husband, along with the two boys, left Bethlehem for the fields of Moab. Again, they, when they left, one of the things I brought out last week is that when you read the text, the narrative, there's no indication that he ever intended to stay long in Moab. This was a temporary move. He was uh, trying to, to mitigate the famine for his family. He was looking for greener pasture, so to speak, to take care of his family. And, you know, again, for us, we would look at that and we would, Simply say, I understand. I mean, you would do just about anything to take care of your family, except violate the word of the Lord. and And I brought out some scripture last week where the Bible said, God said, "Have nothing to do with the Moabites." Uh, so he was in in direct conflict with God's instructions. Goes to Moab, uh, but again, he has no intending. He's not. In, he has no intention of staying. Uh, forever, it's just a, for a season until the famine is over, and then they would go back home. Their intentions were good, okay? The intentions were good, but nothing worked out like, was, like he intended. Naomi's husband, again, died. The two sons died. So let me ask you this question we begin our study tonight. What do you do when life shatters your dreams and leaves you brokenhearted? What do you do? Uh, I, I, again, all of us, if you live in this world, Jesus himself said, in the world, you're going to have tribulation. I I wish I could stand up here and tell you that if you make Jesus Christ Lord and Savior of your life, you'll never have another toothache, you'll never have another bad day, you'll never have, I wish I could say that, but I can't. I I, I can't say that because life doesn't flesh out that way. Our life experiences prove that to be wrong, that it does rain on the just and the unjust. Uh, And I was going to say something a little comical about the lack of rain here, but I'm not going to. Um, So, what do you do when life shatters your dreams and leaves you brokenhearted? Well, we find the answer in our text tonight. Uh, My my title of the teaching tonight is The Return. Kind of sounds like a Steven Spielberg movie or something. But the Hebrew word, the Hebrew text contains a word that. In our text from six, uh, verse number 6 to 22, uh, in the Hebrew text, it contains a word that appears multiple times in the passage. And that word uh, in the Hebrew means to turn or to return, to turn or to return. Now, uh, now, it can literally mean this. It could simply mean I'm driving west, and I turn around, and I drive east. So it, it means that, but it also can have a spiritual implication in that, like, I'm turning back to the Lord. Both of those meanings are contained in the passage today. Both of those meanings are in our text as we read it today. Uh, when Naomi starts her journey back to Bethlehem, she is traveling from the east and she's going west. That is a literal directional change, okay? Uh, so she's reversing, but she's also, uh, she's also turning her life around in the spiritual sense, okay? Okay? So both words are employed in this, in this context here. After living in a pagan land for 10 years, uh, she now returns to her own people, uh, the people of God, uh, to the God of the Bible. This is a journey, again, it's both literal and it is spiritual, uh, in which, and here's the important thing, this is a bruised believer. How many of you have ever been bruised in your spiritual journey? <coughs> Pardon me, sure. I think if you've, lived, if you've been a believer more than a week, you probably have been bruised. There are, listen, there are things that happen in our spiritual journey that honestly just don't make sense. No matter how much we sit there and contemplate and, and, and try to figure out rhyme or reason, there are just things that happen in our lives that have no rhyme or reason. And, and, and when we ask the Lord, and here's the kicker, when we ask God, oftentimes, and, and you know, there are some times I think the Lord obliges and we get an idea of what's going on, but most, most oftentimes we have no clue why this certain thing happened this side of glory we 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 don't we don't we don't have a clue that's why the walk of faith is a very difficult walk not everybody can do it you know you hear people kind of disparage believers and talk about well you know it's for it's for women and old people or sissy men Well, you know not 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 when you get that right down to it it's got i mean it takes a real man or a real woman to be a child of god because we have to have faith to believe in better things, and you've got to have a, a tough countenance to be able to walk that kind of walk, and no matter what comes, to be able to say, uh, rejoice in the, you know, what does the Bible say, count it all joy when you go through all kinds of trials and tribulations. Not everybody can count it joy. Not everybody can celebrate those difficult days. And again, we don't celebrate the difficult days because uh, we're, we're immune to the pain, we celebrate because we know all things work together for good to those who love the Lord and are called according to His purpose. So so she's, uh, so she's been living there. She now decides to return to her people, uh, and the people uh, to God and, and the people of the Bible. She, it's a journey literal and spiritual. Uh, she's a bruised believer. She's a long way from home. And, and this is an important part of the story tonight because sooner or later, most of us drift, most people, most believers drift at some point in their spiritual journey. A degree or two you know we maybe we're not as active or we we just kind of kind of lose a little bit of the fire or whatever uh, so i want to look at what naomi does to get back to where she was okay so think about it. her present location is in moab which was a violation of god's word elimelech led them away from the will of god now she's wanting to return to god and her people and her land what does she do so you think about it. I preached a sermon years ago out of, uh, out of Hebrews that says that we're to pay careful attention to the things we have learned um, and, 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 and give heed to those things lest we drift away. The easiest thing in life to do is drift. It requires no effort, no effort. That's the reason that so many people that have sat in good, fundamental Bible-believing teaching churches wake up one day and realize they're far removed. They start believing some of, the, some of the deception of today's modern culture because they have drifted away from the centrality of the truth of God's Word, and they didn't realize it. They didn't realize it. Well, you know what? Even if you've drifted far away, and maybe you're online this evening, and maybe, maybe there's been a time in your life when you were closer to God than you are right now, you are a candidate for returning I've always said that if you're if there was a time in your life when you were closer to God than you are right now, you're a candidate for revival. God hasn't moved. If we're not feeling close to the Lord, it's it's on us, not him. So what did she do? Well, the first thing she did, and this is how these are steps she took and these are same steps we can take. Number 1, start where you are. Right off the bat, and our, and again, I read it, right off the bat, Naomi has several paths from which she can choose she can number 1 stay in moab okay they're they're not kicking her out there's no reason that she couldn't stay there she uh her family was there you know her boys are there her husband's buried there uh her daughters-in-law are there so she could stay in moab where she would always be a stranger that's it she's not from there she's not uh she's a transplant it's like the it's not quite like the the uh, bumper sticker said, I'm not from Texas, but I got here as quick as I could. They weren't near as accepting as that. Um, she would always perpetually be a stranger in that land, So she, but she could have stayed there. Again, they're not kicking her out of the country. Um, and in that case, Orpah and Ruth uh, probably would have remarried a Moabite man. Again, you can see her indicating that kind of direction um in the, in our text or she and the two women could move to another land but where would they go where would they go or she could go back to Bethlehem to be among her own people and so the decision is made for her uh, when the good news arrives and what's the good news well she and her daughters-in-law set to return to the territory of Moab from the territory of the Moab because she heard in Moab that the Lord had brought food back to the house of bread so, so that decision was made for her. Now she understands that it's safe to go home because the, the famine had been mitigated. God was opening heaven's windows, and there was now bread in the house of bread, and, and they could go back. So she decided, you know what? They have bread. The famine's over. I'm going home. I'm going home. She was in Moab. She decided. So the first thing we have to do is start where we are, recognize where we are. If I'm far from the Lord, I've got to recognize I'm far from the Lord. If I've drifted off center from the Lord, I've got to recognize I've drifted off center. Start where I am, but no, I can always go home. I can always go home. So with the famine over, the way is clear now for Naomi to return home. But, but the question is, what's Orpah and, and Ruth going to do? You know, again, life would be hard enough for a Jewish widow living in Bethlehem. I mean, that's hard. But it would be an entirely different story for a Moabite woman to be in Bethlehem. Without husbands, I mean, think about it. Who would protect them from men seeking to take advantage of foreign women? Again, they would have no rights. And again, God had already forbid that type of relationship. So, I mean, if if Orpah and Ruth were to go back with Naomi, who's going to watch out for them? Who's going to take care of them? I mean, and that's only the beginning. Who's going to feed them? Who's going to clothe them? Will, where are they going to find a place to live, adequate shelter? I mean, again, these, these widows, her daughters-in-law, would be a burden that Naomi could not hold up under. Couldn't hold up. It would be better for them to marry Moab women, uh, men. Men. So that's what Naomi does. She sits them down, and she has a talk with them. Now, Looking at what she said to them, maybe maybe it comes across as being unkind, but it really wasn't. She was genuinely genuinely concerned for them, and wanted them to understand that life would not be easy if they decided um, uh, to go back to Bethlehem with her. And so she, again, she felt empty already, and her mindset was, "Why why drag these young widows into my misery? They're already suffering because my sons died." Why do I want to perpetuate that by bringing them or taking them into that land? So she decides, only after she uh, decides to return to the Lord, uh, she sits down and, and, and says to them, Hey, you know, I, th- I think you need to stay in Moab. I, need to, I, th- I think you need to at least... Again, she's going back. She's going back because it's time for her to return to the land of blessing. She's been living in a, a place that was cursed and it's time for her to go back to a land of blessing. That's a good start. Again, no doubt both, uh, both Orpah and Ruth intended to go back to start over with Naomi, in this, with Naomi in this land of blessing, but she warns them, hey, you better think hard about this decision to come back with me. Again, in some of the rationale that she gives, <laughs> what'd she say? Well, I'm far too old to have more sons that you could marry. And then she said, even if, I, even if I did have sons, would you wait on them to grow up? So what does she do? She's like, what, she says, well, wait a minute. You know, it, it's, just, it's not practical for, you, practical for you to come back. She expresses, um, and, and I love the way she does this. She expresses that may God bless you for the kindness that you have shown. And, and notice what she said in verse 8. Uh, they, he, she said, I want you to experience the Lord's kindness as you have shown to the dead and to me. Who is she talking about? To my family and to me. May God bless you. The Hebrew word is chesed, chesed, and what that word means is loyal love, loyal love. It's an Old Testament way of talking about the grace of God. Basically, she said, you know what, as you showed grace to the dead and to me, may God now show you grace. That was what she was praying to her daughter, daughters-in-law. Again, you've got to understand, Naomi is deeply, I told you last week, Naomi had no idea that there was a Boaz back in Bethlehem. She had no idea that one day this this widow would hold in her lap the grandfather of the great King David, had no idea that Ruth would end up in the lineage of Christ. She has no idea. At this point, moment, all her life is is nothing but misery. She comes back empty and unfulfilled. And so she's deeply depressed and discouraged. And so, again, Naomi just reasons like, you know what? I'm too old to have another husband. Even if I got married tonight and had more sons, you're not going to wait around for them. Why? I mean... With all of that, why would you even think about coming back with me? Stay here. Stay here. Don't stay with me uh, because everything in my life, again, this has turned to dust. I mean, that's where she's coming from right now. She feels like, and you read that story there in chapter 1, she feels like the Lord has turned his hand against her and everything she attempted is falling apart. You ever felt like that? Again, we have to be honest You ever felt like no matter how hard you try, it just never measured up? You know, I've shared with you my struggles down through the years. There were times when, you know, when I would take ownership of things I never should take ownership of. I would think I failed to do something well enough, good enough, long enough, hard enough, and and the results didn't go the way I wanted. And, and again, we all battle that kind of stuff. She's looking at her present circumstances, and she's lamenting her husband died, her son's died, she's in a foreign land, and she feels isolated and alone and far from God. And the only thing she can reason is, you know what? God's turned his hand against me. She basically now says, God has become my enemy. That, that's really what she's saying. You know, sometimes we have to be very careful because we get into life's challenging moments, and it's very easy for us to drift into that pattern of thinking. You know, we get this Eeyore syndrome. You know, we just kind of walk around. You know, how many of you remember years ago I said I'm going to write a book about Eeyore, the Eeyore syndrome? You know, we just kind of walk around with the mullet grubs, you know, oh, nobody likes me. You know, we just, we're just just depressed, and well, I try, you know, I tried to be happy one time, and it didn't work, and, and it's so easy to drift into that situation. So she says to them, you know what, you really need to think hard, because my life is empty. It's over. I'm going to struggle when I get back to Bethlehem, and and if you come with me, you're going to struggle too. And so she, she's not trying to be mean to them. Again, she genuinely wants God to bless them because they were apparently they were great daughters-in-law. Apparently they were attentive to her, loved her boys, and it was a heartbreaking situation. But she said, you know what, don't come with me. Please go back home. So what happens? Orpah took Naomi's advice. She returned to Moab. And you know what? She's never heard from again. She falls off the biblical stage never to be heard again. We have no idea what happened to her when she left Naomi. Naomi speaks from her broken heart. As she walks this road back to Bethlehem, it feels to her as if she has no future at all. I mean, think about it. This story to me reminds me in some ways of the prodigal son. The prodigal son may have had similar thoughts. Again, I pictured the same thing. I know I preached about him on Sunday, but you think about uh, Naomi headed back to 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 Bethlehem, probably coming home dejected, feeling sorry for herself, you know, didn't the prodigal son feel the same way, probably had his head down in shame, you know, he assumed that because of his foolish choices, he had forfeited his right to be called his dad's son, and, 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 you know, he's like, hey, I'm going to go back and tell my dad, hey, I'm not worthy to be your son anymore, just let me be one of your hired servants, Again, he didn't try to make deals, and he didn't try to make excuses. He just came back. But here's the thing. He underestimated the the father's heart. And even though Naomi is making her way back because of some foolish choices that they had made, Elimelech and the boys and her, she's coming back dejected and demoralized and depressed. She's underestimated the heart of our heavenly father. See, she don't know what you and I know. She can't she at this moment can't see what you and I are able to read back as history. So she comes back uh, and and again gets ready. So so the first thing is you gotta start where you are, and, and I don't wanna ramble because there's so many things that this really ministers to because I've seen people that have lost truly lost faith in the valley themselves. They've, they've lost themselves in the struggles of life, and, and it's been very difficult for them to find their way back. I've known people that have turned their back on the Lord because they prayed for a specific thing, that specific thing didn't happen, and they turned their back on God and said, well, I, in fact, I, I know of an individual that prayed for, for a relative of his to be healed, and, and she wasn't healed uh, in, in, in the sense that he wanted her to be healed, passed away, and he blamed God and never, st- never went back to church. Totally turned his back and said, I'm done. I'm done. I trusted. I believed. I had faith. It didn't go my way, and I'm done. We can get to those points with the gravity of what happens in life. Naomi's at that place. Naomi's at that place. She's lost everything. She's telling her daughters in law go back and marry men. I'm empty. I have no future. I'm going to go back to my people where I will probably end up dying. So you gotta, But you've got to start where you are. She starts there. She heads back. Here's the second thing: count the cost. When Orpah left, why did Naomi try to convince Ruth to return to Moab? Well, again, she she understood. She knew the long-standing animosity between the Moabites and the Jews, which meant it could be a very hazardous thing for a young Moabite woman to come back into Bethlehem with with Naomi. Uh, Naomi wasn't going to have any more children, so she couldn't really give any guarantees to Ruth about a husband, a place of safety, food provision. Uh, I like this. One writer put it like this. He said that if if Ruth went to Bethlehem, she would be as welcome as a ham sandwich at a bar mitzvah. (laughs) That puts a different different spin on it right there. You know, it kind of Her words kind of have this ringing echo of what Jesus said in Luke chapter 14 when he made a very stark comment. He said, look, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and his mother, his wife, his children, brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. He goes on in verse 27 of that chapter and says, whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Now, a lot of people get ticked off about that verse. What do you mean hate my brother, my mother, my father? No, he's talking about, the capacity of love. Your love for him has to be greater than your love for the closest person in your life. He can't be second to anybody. Because if he is, then he's not Lord of all. You can't be his disciple unless you're totally all in. He's number one, and then everybody else falls in. So in her own way, Naomi understands what Jesus means. She doesn't want, want Ruth thinking that life in Bethlehem is going to be easy. Life for a Jewish widow was going to be hard enough, Okay but it would definitely be harder. She's an outsider, has no citizenship. She's an alien in a land of promise, and that's what makes her words so amazing. Verse 16 and 17, very famous. I didn't read it, but I'll read it now. She, again, tries to convince Ruth to leave, and Ruth says this, For wherever you go, I will go, and wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. Now, these words are some of the most beautiful words. I told you that Benjamin Franklin used the book of Ruth to convince some French uppity-up people, I still can't say the word, uh, uh, of just how wonderful the Bible really was by changing the names in the story of Ruth to some French names. A beautiful uh, deal, but these words... Are, are, are wonderful words of commitment. I mean, oftentimes in wedding ceremonies they're used, but these words were first applied by a daughter-in-law to her mother-in-law. In the New Testament terms, this would have been Ruth's conversion right here. This was her conversion. This is where her life began to change. She says, you know what? Where you go, I'm going to go. And where you live, I'm going to live And your people are going to be my people, and your God's going to be my God. And and, and where you die, I'm going to die, and there I'm going to be buried. It was her conversion, okay? She's not only committing herself to Naomi, but she's committing herself to Naomi's people. She's committing herself to Naomi's God. And her commitment, again, notice, it's personal, it's voluntary, and it's totally complete. There was no restriction. She wasn't holding it. I'll give you everything except, I'll go anywhere but. It's total, I'm all in. I'm all in. After saying these words, she could never go back to Moab. Again, I think this is a remarkable thing considering that Ruth has nothing to gain by going to Bethlehem, at least from a human perspective. She's a, she has absolutely nothing to gain by going to Bethlehem. She faces the prospects of, of poverty and rejection. Again, at this point, she's not even thinking about marriage. And for that matter, she doesn't even know that there's a man by the name of Boaz. She did not even you know that Boaz exists. She has no clue. That's hidden in the future. That's hidden in the future, which means she attached herself to Naomi for love's sake and for nothing more. That's it. Ruth, the Moabite, has far more faith than Naomi, the Jew. Again, how amazing that this type of commitment comes from an insider. Uh, Excuse me, not from an insider, but from an outsider. It's kind of like Jesus. Remember, Jesus commented sometimes when he said, you have great faith. He spoke to people that were outside the family about their remarkable faith. And the people in the family was like, where's your faith? Oh, a little faith. This is an outsider demonstrating great faith. Her faith is incredible. Her commitment to Naomi goes beyond time and place and ethnic background. She, she knew so little, yet she understood the heart of God more than Naomi could even imagine. With that statement, Ruth binds herself to Naomi forever, which is in verse 18, if you look at that, this is why uh, Naomi is speechless because she's never seen that type of love and that type of commitment. I mean, what do you say to a love like that? What do you say to someone who commits to someone and stays with them through the thick and the thin? Not much you can say. Wherever Naomi goes from that point on, Ruth will always be there, which leads to the third thing. We got to start where we are, right? Okay, what's the second one? Count the cost. And the third one is go back to the place of blessing. See, the great news is no matter how far I drift away, I can always come back to the place of blessing. I can always come back to the place of blessing. When the when the two men, two women finally, I don't know where my brain is tonight. When the two women finally arrived in Bethlehem, uh, again, you got to understand, it was not the big, bustling city that it is today. It was a small village. So, you know, anything, uh, you know, every, every village has always had a grapevine, and that grapevine works faster than Ma Bell. So I, I promise you that when they started walking into the city or the village, it spread. News spread that Naomi is back. The whole town was stirred by Naomi's return. Uh, again, little towns, kind of like the phrase of that Christmas carol. It was a tiny village where everyone knew everyone else, and they knew their business. And so, if we assume that Elimelech came from a distinguished family, his leaving would have been big news, right? But Naomi's return with Ruth at her side would be even bigger news. Okay, did the townspeople know what happened in Moab? Probably not. Probably not. If they didn't, then they would have been shocked to see Naomi without her husband. And then what about her two sons? What happened to them? And who's this strange young woman by her side? Again, I'm sure that the women of Bethlehem never expected to see Naomi again. They're pleased and they're surprised at the same time. But notice in verse 20 and 21, Naomi kind of sums up for us what her life in Moab was like. Here's what she said. Don't call me... Naomi, call me Mara. She answered, For the Lord Almighty has made me very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why do you call me Naomi, since the Lord has opposed me and the Almighty has afflicted me? So there you have an insight into her frame of mind. She believes that everything that has happened to her has been directly caused by God Himself. Now, so again, she said, Don't call me Naomi. Why? Well, the word Naomi means pleasant. Don't call me pleasant. Call me Mar. What does Mar mean? It means bitter. So again, you see what's going on in her mindset. Don't call me, I'm not a pleasant person. I'm not a pleasant one, the pleasant one. I'm the bitter one. I'm the bitter one. Again, who and, and who's responsible for this miserable state? God is. Four times she mentions him. He made her very bitter. That's what she says. He made me very bitter. He brought me back empty. He opposed me and he afflicted me. Now here's the thing. In one sense, that's good theology. Okay? That's good theology. What I mean by that? Remember, I I, I quoted uh, Tony Evans. Dr. Tony Evans says that everything that happens in life is either caused by God or allowed by God. Not, uh, again, for us, in our sense of justice, we have, a, we have a humanized sense of justice. But God sees the beginning from the end, and sometimes there are things that happen in life that make no rhyme or reason, and, and we, can't find, we can't see anything, the silver lining out of any of it. And so we consequently think that God has lost his mind or God has punished us because we didn't pray enough, we didn't evangelize enough, or whatever it is. She, she blames him. And again, either God causes it or he allows it in his providential care. So that's good theology in a way. She, still, she obviously still believes in the sovereignty of God. Okay, The bitter pl- pain that she experienced in Moab has bruised her faith, but here's the thing, it's not destroyed it. It's bruised, but it's not been destroyed. See, that's why I'm saying as long as you have that, you can come home. As long as that faith has not been destroyed, you can come home. You can be bruised. You can be wounded. You can be struggling to, to, to try to make sense of it all. But if, that, if you have just a, just, it doesn't take a lot of faith. Remember what he said? If you have faith the size of a mustard seed, it just takes a little faith. But that little faith can move mighty mountains. And so even though she's bruised, she's hurt, she expresses herself in, in, in that manner, her faith is still intact. She believes in the sovereignty of God. I mean, if she complains, at least she puts her complaints in the right place, and that's at the doorstep of heaven. If If it is God who has done this, then it is God in whom she will have to deal. Naomi has no inkling, and again, I'm going to kind of bring this in because this story takes a dramatic turn in the next chapter, and we'll talk about that next week. But Naomi has no inkling of what is about to happen. Because, again, I remind you, she's in that present moment. You and I get to see it from history, and we can look back and know that there's a Boaz, and there's a field, and there's threshing going on, and, and there's gleaning going on. We can see that because we know the story. But she has no idea. She's in this moment. She's come back to Bethlehem, the house of, house of blessing. She has no blessing. She is empty. She said, don't call me, don't call me the pleasant one. Call me the bitter one because I am empty. The Lord has afflicted me. That's all she has right there. See, she's not thinking about Boaz. And she doesn't have any comprehension of how one day Ruth is going to marry this man Boaz. It's not even on her radar screen. Here's a believing woman who returns home in utter defeat. That's where she's at. How many believers have walked away in utter defeat because they had expectations and it didn't happen that, that's, you know, that's why we just have to give way to him. Uh, and I understand, it's hard. If you've ever gone through the fire, you've ever gone through some really tough times, it's hard. It's the hardest thing you'll ever have to do is to not let that thing rob you of your faith. Again, I know for 10 years I talk about my wife, but you know what, that's one of the hard, that is the hardest thing I've ever dealt with in my life. I still deal with it. I still live with it on a daily basis. And there are times when I, you know, if I it went with my back, you know, Again, when my back goes out and I'm in such agony, I don't have a choice because my wife can't do anything. I put on a belt as tight as I can. I grit my teeth, and I, and I do the best that I can because I have no choice. And when I get her situated, then I can go into the other room. If, I, if I'm in that type of pain, I can cry about it and say, God, I just don't understand. Why won't you do something? Anybody ever prayed like that? Why won't you do something? But you know what I always come back to? I trust him. (laughs) I trust him. I don't know why this is my lot in life. She had her stroke when I was 46. So 46 years of age, I began taking care of my wife. I don't know why. You know, 46 years of age, I should be thinking about other things. But this is my lot. See, we have to be so careful because there are things in this life that I don't understand and we can't comprehend. But if you'll get to the bottom where you say, you know what, God, even in spite of this, I still trust you. One day, one day I'll see clearly and one day I'll understand Sometimes it has nothing to do with us, but everybody around us. And when that realization hit me one day, I thought, Lord, then let me bear this with dignity and honor so that somebody might be encouraged by it. Rather than sit down and wallow in my self-pity and frustration, then let me carry it with dignity and honor and let people be inspired by this story. Naomi, don't call me pleasant. Call me bitter. See, when the trials and tribulations of life come, we have, a, we have the option. We can become better. We can become bitter. But it's our choice. It's our choice. She, she thinks God has dealt harshly with her, and she can't see the bigger picture. And that raises the question as I, bring, as I try to bring this in. Can we return to God and still harbor feelings like this? If we answer no, then it really means we really haven't suffered very much. Because I don't know anyone who's experienced great loss that doesn't have the agony that Naomi had. How could you not? If you lost a loved one unexpectedly, if you have had a setback financially, if you, uh, health-wise, or, how could you not have that type of animus? She did. She's bruised. She's a bruised believer, but those bruises, those bruises will take a long time to heal. Some people take a long, t- but you know what? If you'll stay at it, start where you are, set your course, count the cost, and always come home. It may take a while, but you can get there. This passage ends on a note of hope when it notes that Naomi and Ruth arrive in, in Bethlehem, and, and the note of hope is, uh, hope is this. Verse 22 lets us know that the harvest is about to begin. See, because we know the story. There's a there's a little stretch of land that's going to be left for the, the foreigners and the poor. And that's where the providential meeting is going to take place with Ruth and with Boaz. See, we know, so, so we have a ray of hope in this story. She doesn't know it. But there are two things that we see. Number one, because they're harvesting, it's the time of the harvest, the famine is over. And the second thing that we see is a new chapter is about to ensue in their life. When John Piper wrote this book, uh, a a book about Ruth, here's what he called it, A Sweet and Bitter Providence. (laughs) A Sweet and Bitter Providence. That's a pretty good title. Uh, See, Naomi at this point only sees the bitter, but the sweetness is about to come. I don't know if you have ever read anything from William Cowper, uh, but here's what he said. I quote, he said, Judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust Him for His grace. Behind a frowning providence, he hides a smiling face. I think that's pretty good. What it means is Naomi right now sees the frown, okay? But soon the clouds are going to part, and she's going to see the smiling face of God. But the first thing she had to do is make the step back to the Bethlehem, to the house, a blessing. And as I close tonight, that's that's just what I want to say, particularly maybe you're here uh, tonight online, tuned in with us, maybe... You are bitter because something didn't go the way that you wanted it to go. Maybe you prayed a specific prayer. And, and see, sometimes we pray, but we already have in our mind what we want the answer to be. And, 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 and we, we, we become bitter when the, when the prayer is not answered the way that we want it to be answered. So maybe you're sitting in your bedroom tonight or maybe at the kitchen table or maybe in, in, in your Lazy Boy and you're watching and you say, you know what, I'm bitter. I'm bitter because things didn't turn out the way I wanted them to. I should be here. I should be doing this, and I'm not because X, Y, and Z. Well, you know what? I just came to tell you tonight, start where you are. You can always come home. You might see the frown right now, but there's a smiling face that you'll see one day soon if you'll set your course and you'll go back home. You know, she had faith to go back home. You know, you think, was she embarrassed? I would imagine she was. I would imagine she walked with her countenance down because when she left, she was full. When she came home, she was empty. It was a bad choice. Maybe when you struck out on your journey, you were full and you had great expectation, but life didn't turn out that way. And maybe you sit there and maybe you're here tonight. Maybe you're empty. Maybe you're empty. There's sunshine coming. Every one of us make foolish mistakes. We've all tried to sojourn in Moab. Wrong relationship. We moved when we should have stayed. We gave up too soon. On and on and on it goes. We all have those moments where we do boneheaded things. You know what? Set your gaze and take the step and go back to the house of blessing. The story reminds us, I close. That God's grace far exceeds our sin. You know the thing I love about this story, and again, one of the things of God's, that we see exemplified of God's grace, is that she comes back and she basically she just lays it on, says, "He did this to me. He did this to me four times. He did this to me. And you know what? God doesn't go. Phew. God doesn't take her out. God knows her heart's broken. God knows she's empty. He knows she's hurting. But he also knows she has no idea what he set her up for. And you see, that's the way it is with us because we see in a very linear fashion. All we can see is right here around us right now. We don't know the next moment, but he does. And what you and I perceive as a a, a setback oftentimes is a setup that God has prepared for us before we were ever born. And my job is not to huff and puff and throw a fit and bail out. My job is to say, okay, God, I don't understand where I'm at at the moment, but you know what? I'm going to trust you anyway. We might be frowning right now. We might be anxious right now. We might be hurting right now, but you know what? There's a better day coming. What does the Bible say? Weeping endures for the night, but joy comes in the morning. You might be living in a dark time right now. You might be living at that midnight hour, but you know what? The dawn is going to come. New, new mercies and new hope and new joy if you'll just keep heading back. Won't you stand with me tonight? I love this quote I read today. It says, God doesn't, God doesn't consult your past to determine your future. Isn't that good? God doesn't consult your past to determine your future. And thank God that's true. Because you know what? We get to stay tuned. All we've seen in chapter 1 is a bunch of heartache. But the story is just getting good because it's harvest time. Paul told the Galatian believers, Be not weary in well-doing, for in due season you'll reap if you faint not. Amanda has a due season in about five weeks. There's an expectation of something to be born. Each one of us spiritually have due seasons. If we continue to sow and not grow weary and remain faithful, that season will come and we'll bear harvest. It's harvest time. All that she's put up with for 10 years again, her faith is bruised. It's not been destroyed. She's in anguish. She doesn't understand why God's allowing certain things to happen. But the text seems to indicate she's not abandoned her faith. She's just wounded in her faith. And God's about to take that little fertile seed that's still there, and he's about to blow across it with the pneuma of the Spirit to produce something that she can't even fathom right now. I want you to bow with me and online. I, I, I'm just going to ask it like this. If you're here tonight, say, you know what? I've been wounded. I've been wounded through some challenges of my life. I, I You know, I, I there's some areas, if I'm honest, I'm, I'm still bitter about. But I hear what you're saying tonight. I, I, I want to have that expectation. You know, maybe you're at chapter one. Maybe you're at the end of chapter one in in the story of Ruth, and maybe you've come back, and at one time you were pleasant because things were going your way and everything. You couldn't get any better. But you came back, and all that evaporated. And like she said, don't call me pleasant. Call me bitter. Maybe you're having to deal with some bitter moments right now. And maybe your chapter has stopped here at chapter one. I just remind you that the story's not over because harvest time is happening. And we'll start seeing what God does when even bruised believers come back. If you're online tonight and maybe you've been bruised in your faith, maybe, you've walked, maybe you're maybe you part of the walking wounded, you've never really fully come back to the blessed place of blessing because you're still carrying wounds of what happened in the past. I want to pray for you tonight. If you'll comment online, I want to pray with you tonight. You're here in the building. Nobody look around. Just slip your hand up and say, Pastor, you know what? There's some areas in my life that I need God to help me. I want to get past that. Amen. Amen. I just want to get past it. I I don't want to carry that any longer. I don't want to be known as a bitter person. I want to be a pleasant person. Let's pray. Father, I love you tonight, and I thank you. Lord, what a powerful story. Lord, there's so many things, Lord. I can get just so excited to, to see, even though, uh, you know, for us, it's our, it's our advantage because we can look back and we know what's going to happen. Lord, it's hard for us to imagine being in that scenario where we're sitting there like Naomi, she leaves fully blessed and she comes home totally empty and depleted. But Lord, you're behind the scenes. Again, I, as I said last week, you are the hero of this story because behind all of the events that are taking place is, is your unhands is your unseen hand. You're orchestrating the events. You're putting things together. Lord, right now she's, she's empty. She's bruised and wounded. But, Lord, you've got something incredible for her, and we'll start unpacking that next week. Lord, But that story is indicative of how you operate. Lord, maybe, maybe there's some of us here tonight that we're sitting at the end of chapter 1 and things aren't pleasant right now, that we have had memories and experiences that are not pleasant right now. but Lord, there's a better day coming. Lord, if we'll just go back, if we'll just return back to you. Not hold on to the hurts. Lord, not hold on to the disappointments, the unmet expectations. Lord, I pray that you would help us tonight to to just fully let it go. The the pain, the bitter waters, and Lord, that we would just be refreshed and renewed in the spirit. Lord, I pray tonight for those online that just need a touch from you, Lord. I pray, God, that you would just reach into their situation, Lord, into that uh, misery and into that the depths of their despair, Lord, and that you would give that ray of hope and a ray of sunshine, Lord, to encourage them that there's harvest time coming. And, Lord, that latter rain will come and will fulfill the harvest. And, Lord, we'll see the bounty that you have for us if we'll just tow the line and move forward. Lord, I pray for each of us that we'll continue to walk in honor of who you are and that we would carry whatever you allow to come into our life. Lord, help us to carry it with dignity, uh, Lord, and, and, and with passion so that others could be blessed by our witness. Now, I ask you to go with us now. Give us a wonderful, restful night, I pray. And should you, Terry, bring us again to receive your word on Sunday. Bring people now from the north, the south, the east, and the west that need an encounter with you. I love and bless each one now. In Jesus' name, and we all said amen. God bless you. Thank you for being with us online. I look forward to seeing you next time. God bless you, and I love you very much.